0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: Welcome to Season 19, Episode 17, powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. And Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes, Looking to take their game and studies to the next level at Junior Prospect League.com. Right off the hop, Brad and I are going to talk about the CHL Top Prospects game that just finished transpiring in Moncton. Uh, I was there last night. And Brad, one of the things when I go into this game, because it's a one-off in, in that respect, the things that I look for is, I want to see the adaptive processing of players. Cause in many cases they haven't played with the players they're playing with. Sometimes they get, you know, they've known each other from, you know, U 17s or, uh, you know, other different types of uh, teams like that. So I look for adaptive processing. I look for, do they play to their identity and, you know, as well, which I think is also important is I want to be able to watch the players skate against each other in that circumstance. And can they play with pace? So just gives me an understanding of how they match up against maybe certain players that they would never play against. If it's a dub player against a Q player. So those are the things I really, I really kind of try to pay attention to Uh, from your perspective. What are your takeaways?
2: Oh, I'm with you. Uh, You know, we, we talk about it a lot on the show. I think the base of scouting Essentially, is looking at uh, a kid's adaptive processing ability. I think it's the, you know, you got preset processing, adaptive processing. One is the two steps ahead type of thinking, almost a chess match type of thinking. Yeah. Uh, I always use the basic example of this, our Timmy Panarin. When he's coming down a wing and he's looking to slow down the play, he's using his preset processing to try to figure out what his trailing options are and then figure out in real time what he needs to do. The real-time element is the adaptive processing. Uh, the game of hockey is super chaotic. It can go from structure to total, totally a uh, zero structure, you know, flatline structure. When that happens, that's when you need to be able to see both. Uh, I think it's the base for almost any sport. To be honest, I think I think the pro- basically the ability to process play as a whole is the base. So you're right. I'm totally with you because in this in this um, situation with an all-star game, uh, every kid is going to come into a little nervous because they understand that every scout known a man is going to gonna watch the game and some of them are not used to playing with each other. So you're not going to base it off of uh, team chemistry or structure as much. So you just want to see how they kind of work and operate through it dynamically. And so uh, I- I'm with you from that perspective. That said, I, uh, I always say this, this, this game to me is very much like a Halinka game meaning from a weighted category as a scout from a scouting perspective, 100%. I don't wait this, I don't wait this game very heavily whatsoever. Kate, um, don't get me wrong. You, can't, you can still take something from it, but uh it's, it's low on the, on the, the, the hierarchy of games that really matter to me in, in terms of figuring out uh, performance.
1: 100%. And uh, I was, I'm always curious to see which players connect with each other. And I think right off the hop for, for team red, and let's t- uh, talk about this line. So is the Merrick uh, Vanacker, Raul Bulliard, and Cole Baudin, that line? Well, I thought all three of those players played to their identity. They played playoff-style, heavy hockey, down low, greasy, uh, controlled and managed the puck really well down low in the offensive zone, drove pucks to the net, threw pucks at the net, forced the defensemen and the forwards defending them, to try to grind them, try to battle them in a grinding way, and I thought they took advantage of almost every line they played against because they just knew if they got it in deep and they could cycle and find each other, that they were going to cause a little bit of chaos. And I thought that line caused chaos. And I took great, I took notes of all three players. I think they just understood what they could get away with, right? And then once they saw they could do it, they just sort they doubled down. And then they tripled down on it and until someone could counter or have an answer for them. And I don't think anybody had an answer for them all game.
2: Yeah. It's one of those situations where it's, again, it comes down to team chemistry. They don't know each other that well. So it's one of those situations where to keep it simple, and then play really hard, and good things usually happen. It's very much like a death line that plays north south and tries to be chippy and yeah, then NHL. They're
1: right? playing in straight lines, straight lines,
2: yeah. straight lines, and just and just trying to be as heavy as they can. There's, I mean, there's a reason straight line hockey exists, right? Even at the NHL level, it exists a lot. It's because it's very effective when it's done correctly. Pressure is very important, and one of the best ways to generate pressure is is by operating in straight lines. So um, I thought they were fantastic. Uh, Boylard is a is a prospect. Uh, Jerome Berube is brought to my attention. Uh, He's crazy. I, I Hey, yeah. yeah, he's great. He's, he's well rounded. He's one of those players where uh, he's more than the sum of his parts. There's nothing, not one single trait that's like dynamic in his game or anything. But when you take the whole, he's very effective. Yeah, uh, and that and that's what's going to lead to him getting drafted uh, um, in in the upcoming 2024 draft for I thought sure. His work ethic, like
1: work like, work ethic and pace. And willingness to do things that other guys generally don't like to do is go into corners and retrieve pucks and take hits to make plays and go to the net. And know you're going to get smacked and play in traffic like that's a will like you. You got to want to do that. And not everybody wants to do that unless there's a prime scoring chance sitting there. And he and I thought that was the part to me that jumped out to me in his game.
2: Absolutely, he's, he's a competitive player, and you're right. He's very consistent with that aspect of his game. I, I'd argue the maybe the least consistent aspect. There certainly wasn't. I mean, he played really well here, at he he produced. But it, when it when it comes to looking at his long term projection, he does look more like a depth forward right. at the NHL yep. level, just yep. because of not the most consistent when it comes to his puck handling, puck skills, and, and when you like label him as a you could label him as a dual threat. But again, nothing that at a lo- you at would a lower label line. as elite. Yeah, more of a lower line type. So he played. One thing that's interesting about this game is sometimes you see a prospect, and you know, at this stage, we've seen him play. We've seen them all play a lot, so you're expecting them play the same way you've seen them. And then because it's a prospect game, because they have different jerseys on, because they're with different line mates, they can look a little different. That wasn't the case here, right? He yep. looks very much like he always has, and that's time line have some too. game.
1: Cole Cole Bodin was the same he like what I saw from him in the OHL and Barry was what I saw in this game too, as well. Like what I liked about him is he tried to impose his will upon the game and upon his, upon the opposition. I'm going to impose myself physically and you either have to match it or I'm just going to run you over. And that's what I thought he really tried to do is impose his will. And I always look for players who try to impose their will on the game, particularly in a situation like this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where y- you want to see how certain players suppress high skill players in yeah. this type of situation, right? Because that's what you're dealing with top process game. You're dealing with some of the best talent in the draft. So, how do they minimize that talent if they were considered more of a depth option? Right, and that's exactly what that line did. They managed to suppress talent by generating pressure.
1: Yeah, and you know, and doing it in a way where it's it's a physical toll. Against the other team, regardless of what line you're at. So if you're trying to battle against them and the defense, you, they're going to exact a physical toll on you. And do you want to be willing to take that? You know, and that's what I thought was really interesting from that standpoint was, was he willing, were they willing to do that? And I thought for the most part, the opposition really didn't want any part of that line Um, for team red as well. Not a shock. Uh, But I think it showed everybody what Sam Dickinson really is as a defenseman and what he can do in a lot of different situations. So I thought – I saw glimpses of, like, that potential in this game where you're like, oh, that's right. Like, this is who he is as a defenseman. There's a reason why, he, you know, he's going to get drafted in the top ten.
2: Well, I mean, he's one of those situations where – you look at the top of the draft, right? Zane Peric is now getting mentioned in the top ten a lot, though I'm not, I'm not on board with that just yet, uh, even though he's a, a tremendous talent. Uh, but you look at Artem Leptchenov, you look at Anton Solayev, uh, yeah. even if you look at Yakemchuk, who was in this in this game. Yeah. There's a lot of not flags, but there's well, some of them have flags depending on on what you're looking for. Zane Peric certainly has some defensive flags, some energy. Uh, flags when it comes to ramping up his energy systems and the way he skates very upright, which you don't want to see for a defenseman because it takes away some of his stick positioning, which he's going to need because he's not overly physical. Uh, Kemchuk, he can skate over the top of himself and he can have some difficulty with his consistency in terms of using his vision. He'd be over on a shot. Anton Solayev, right? Massive defenseman, but he's Russian. and then Levshinov is very polarizing more so than you see publicly. So when you look at those defensemen and then you look at Dickinson, Dickinson's the one that is just the more, the most well-rounded, And you know what you're getting, you're getting a tremendous skater. He's coming out of London night system. So, you know, the development path is there in spades and he's, he's going to, he's almost the guarantee of the bunch where there's more well, questions, he's right? The
1: safety, he's the safest bet. Yeah.
2: He's the safest bet. Right. Yeah. So the, the the question then, when you're looking at it from a drafting perspective is okay, what's the upside, right? Is the upside warrant, uh, top three pick, top five pick, top eight, top ten, top right. That's that's kind of the the way you have to look at it because he certainly looks like at least a top pairing defenseman. You know, he looks at least the number two. The real question is, can he be a number one? And that's really dependent on on how much skill you feel that he has. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the game we just saw him in, I feel like he looked more like the number two. But you know, it depends on the consistency yeah, rate. He looked in yeah, other games yeah. like he could be a number one, right? Yeah, so
3: yeah.
2: Th- that's what it comes down to. But he's he's the. He's the defenseman out of any defenseman in this class where when that team drafts him, they don't have to have beads of sweat drop down their pillow at night wondering if they made the right choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. We're going to both take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll come back. We'll talk about the CHL top prospects right after this.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat,
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back and powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about the CHL Top Prospects game that concluded in Moncton. And for Team White, right off the hop, I thought this line was fantastic. But, you know, we're going to single out TJ Gidla just, I think... His motor, his pace, his energy um, really helped, like, solidify, sort of complement the skill set that you knew that was already there. And to me, it's just like, there's a guy who just every shift, he's coming out guns blazing. And I like that compliment because you knew he was skilled and talented. But I wanted to see whether he would try to impose his will on the game. And I thought he really did for Team White.
2: Yeah, he's been fantastic all season, uh, for for myself. I, I remember the first uh couple games I watched of him, I was like, wow, this is he was he put himself on the map very early. Let's put that way. And it, it wasn't even just the well-roundedness of him, which is absolutely there, as I'm sure some of our listeners have seen now. Uh it it was the shot. He can really shoot a puck from yeah, distance, right, but- which is He can rip it. And that's that's very useful. Um, That said, the reason I bring up the shot quality and the ability to shoot from distance and some of you saw it in this game is that right now he has a tendency to slow down the play too often. He's using ace stances. He's using wide triangle stances where he's constantly slowing down the play and trying to assess the options instead of speeding up the play. Um, but it, it's one of those situations where I think it's very correctable. And when when he's on and he's using speed differentials correctly he's slowing and speeding up and making sure that the defense are offset by his skating, then he's really. A lot to handle. Uh, you know. A lot of work for him to be done along the boards. Doesn't exactly know how to use his frame just yet. But you you see the handling ability. You see the dual threat nature of him. You see his willingness to do basically everything. And you just look at him and you go, okay, you plug him anywhere in the lineup. There's a tremendous amount of versatility. He knows how to generate out. pressure. He's going to figure it out, right? Yeah. He's going to figure it out. Uh, he's a very interesting one to watch on draft day just because of where he's going to go. Right, I, I could see a team absolutely falling in love with him enough to take him top ten. Uh, this game looks, you know, if he plays plays like this for the rest of the season, then you could definitely warrant that. Uh, I believe at hard prospect, we just have him around ten or eleven right now. Um, so that you know, that's I think he project. He basically played in this game like he projects to go on draft day. That's like a top ten to twelve pick, yeah. and, and you can't ask for much more. He's a fantastic talent. Obviously, he's got his dad in his ear. He knows what it's going to take to become a pro and a good one. Uh, and that absolutely matters. So a uh, fantastic performance by him. Let's
1: talk about Jet Luchenko on that second line. Thoughts on him and the prospect out of Guelph?
2: Yeah. So th- this is a player that at Hockey Prospect, we have had ranked A-rated in the A range for a couple months. And uh, no, no one was on board with this, but uh, we're, we're starting to get some with more, more people are definitely getting on uh, on board with what we've done. Uh, with this player the last couple of months in terms of our evaluation now. And that's and you saw that on display in this game. Skating abilities there, very good skater. And, and, you know, skating is one of those things where I think for a lot of uh, our listeners who are just just viewers of hockey and, and don't scout, uh, one of the big differences with skating from a scouting perspective for us is like we have to look at the mechanical base uh, from a long-term perspective in the player. And not just the power output, and not just the A to B, and what he looks like that's in change. terms of the fall on the ice. Because it's going to change, years, right? Yeah. That's right. So with Lachenko, one of the reasons we really like him is that when you look at it from a mechanical perspective, it's already really good, and he's all, uh, one of the youngest players in the draft. Two weeks from eligibility next season, yeah. so that's a very good sign. So you take that, and then you see the playmaking ability. You see the ability to to carry the puck through three zones. Right, the new, neutral zone entry rates are looking pretty good. And you look at the the hockey sense and then the commitment to detail and you got something. I, for me, I, I've said this, I told Mark Edwards this from day one, uh, Jet Lachenko looks very similar to me, to Chandler Stevenson uh, out of Vegas. Very similar player to Chandler Stevenson, who's an underrated player. Uh it took yeah. him time to develop. Lachenko was ahead in terms of his curve relative to Stevenson, the same age. But I think they're going to be very similar players. We're, we're very high on Jet Lachenko. And I feel like he had a very good game here. Let's talk about
1: Beckett uh, Lachenko, his line mate for this game, kid out of Oshawa, and he's got, you know, I talked to him downstairs and he's just like a, he's not the, like he's still thin. Wait till this kid fills out. Cause he's got a lot of room. He's going to be a big kid when he's like 22, 23, he's going to be a load coming down that right wing.
2: That's exactly, it's exactly it. When you look at growth rate and curve of a player, he's just untapping his potential he's just yeah. at the just scratching the surface of what he's going to be as a player right um we really like him uh i feel like he had a good game here a good performance one thing with beckett seneca is his production does not match the nhl potential right the pro potential of this player is not fully realized at all and it's not going to be in his draft season that's where it kind of gets difficult because you can take a player who's already looking physically developed Let's use Michael Bransig Nygaard as an example, that 6'2", 200-pound yeah. two, beast, already physically developed, already mature. Beckett-Seneca is the opposite. But when you project both at 23, Seneca's is going to catch up to him. Yeah. Right? And then it comes him. down to that's exactly right. So if he's passing him physically, what does that mean in terms of the, uh, the rest of his game? Well, he can do a whole lot with the puck. He has range. He has the ability to laterally drag the puck and t- laterally to touch the puck. He can uh, find lateral passing options in traffic. He's very dangerous around the net area when he's trying to protect the puck. I thought his
1: give-and-go was pretty good, too.
2: He had good give-and-go sequences, you're right. There was one specifically that stood out to me where he had a short side option but instead he tried to make it into a multi-touch give-and-go sequence that would have resulted in the goalie having to make a lateral transfer which is what you want to see you want to see more complex plays and the thought process and develop those plays in real time that's what you saw from Seneca in this game I felt like he had a good performance and he needed one to be honest I feel like if I was to wait which players I wanted to see actually do well in this game again I don't take it you know it's one of those games where it's not Not huge to us, but if I was to wait it and say, which player do I wish would do well here? It would have been Beckett Seneca because his production, again, it it hasn't matched what he can be. So I want to see him actually really be dangerous in this game. And he was. And and part of that was uh, a result of playing with the players he's playing with, though. He had some excellent uh, teammates with him. But yeah, tons of potential in Seneca and Lachenko. And I, I bring up both of them together because... Uh, they sum up this class uh, we mentioned this before I'll mention it again cuz it really is important this class is the youngest class I can ever remember there there's a lot more growth rate in this class as a whole relative to other drafts Which because is why there's, there's so many on
1: the second half of the going to matter more right, that's, that's, right. Where, that's right. and that's it's going to be the danger of once you start cutting down your list always the danger of leaving somebody off because it's a it's a really young class And they tend to late heart charge, particularly, you know, after Christmas and past January
2: that's hundred percent right this draft is you have to really focus on the back half relative to the first half uh just because of what you said it's it's a super young class There's still tr- a lot of these kids are just trying to figure out what they can become and how to develop and so you know i you always weight the ua teams relatively heavily right the tournament really matters it's going to really matter this this season i can't wait to go to it. it's going to really really matter and just the playoff hockey down the stretch too in the ohl and chl as a whole it's going to really matter for these kids so uh it's one of those situations where this class is there's a lot of interesting players and, and some of them have massive flags at this time even though they're very talented. Uh even Cole Eiserman not had a great season so far. You know Cole is a perfect example of a player who I think the second half you gonna have to really step up and try to solidify a, a top 10 position still at least for us. Um, but it, it you know it, he's a perfect example of just what this draft is there's there's a ton of untapped potential it will be very interesting to try to see how many of them actually untap it towards the end of the end of the year in general
1: yeah I try to break down the season into like quarters and uh particularly with with young players and so I think this <clears throat> really it's going to be the last quarter of the season playoffs u-18s that you know I think the puzzle is going to start coming together i think for me especially because there was just there's so many like when i put up putting together a, a puzzle of the player there's some big gaps still kind of like okay i mean this this information the data is just not confirmed here from that standpoint so i think that's really fascinating uh particularly this year and, and you alluded to it as well because of the of the young birth rate in this group um, and that's going to impact it uh, moving forward. So we have to be really patient with this group. Uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Please stay tuned. If you go off and uh, listen to Tom Petty, stay for about five minutes, then one song, then come back to us. And we'll be back right after these important messages.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by
1: Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. Once again, I'm happy to bring on Patrick Williams, AHL correspondent for AHL.com and NHL.com. In our regular segments, we talk about AHL rookies and what's happening in their development First off the hop, I want to ask you about Logan Mayu, who came into Laval. Um, you know, we all know his history, and I do think people deserve a second chance and an opportunity to redeem themselves. Because where else would you want that person? Do you want them out on the streets, or do you want him in a structured system where he can get to he- get? say the help he wants, the help he needs, or, you know, to build up different skills so that he can be a productive member of society and, you know, a valued man in the future. I think the latter is much more applicable. You don't want to like cancel somebody and just throw them into the dump heap as a 19 year old kid. So thoughts on how he's transitioned into that pro ranks from your perspective. And then, you know, we can look at it from a statistical standpoint as well.
7: He's, uh, he's been a real smooth, uh, adjustment to the HL a little bit more so than I expected to be quite honest. Uh, I think some usually not always, but often hiccups defensemen like that. Yeah. There's some hiccups, like guys that have played that, uh, kind of that they, they push the play in junior. Right. And then you come to the HL and it's like, Whoa, that's, that just doesn't work there, but he's been able to translate that really well, uh, He's going to the All Star Game next month uh, with Laval uh, to represent Laval, um, you know, and he. I think more importantly, he's done so with uh, with a fair amount of experience and youth around him. So you know, it's not as if he's been able to go in there and kind of be be shielded or or be yeah. in a little bit of a cocoon. Like he's had to take on a lot early, you know, with that Laval club, and and they went through some real really rough times. Early the first yeah. say two months of the season, they've been able to straighten things out. Uh, they brought in, you know, a real good veteran like Casca uh, Suo and that who I think definitely took the temperature uh, of, of things down quite a bit. And uh, they're on a nice little, little roll here uh, in January. So uh, for him, you know, he's, like, he's playing with that confidence. And I've said this before to you. With some uh,
1: swagger. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Like that's the first thing you want to see from a young defenseman. You don't want to see, you know, this league will eat you up. Right. Um, if you're a young 20 year old defenseman. Right. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of guys, you see that, 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 that tentative tentative uh, play. Right. Like I feel like with him, like he's pushing things. And for me to see that confidence for, from a young defenseman, I think is really encouraging. And, you know, he's, he's doing what's got him to this point in terms of, uh, you know, it, the, the he's doing to
1: his identity. His identity,
7: but you know, now he's not, now now that now he's adding those pro elements that you need, right? Like you know, really starting to take care of uh, things in his own end, and, and and playing that sort of responsible game that then translates into opportunities with the puck.
1: You know, and it will. End, I'll end up on this point is he has offensive capabilities, and yeah. he's he's show, I think he's showing that, and he's got some grease in his game, yeah, and totally. he's certainly showing that. And, you know, he's not backing down. And even if he makes a mistake, it doesn't seem to rattle him for very long. And yeah. he seems to be able to be resilient and get back on the horse right away. So for me, I thought that was that's something that was interesting uh, from that standpoint for a young defenseman. Let's talk about Rory Kearns. Like, that's interesting yeah. as well, because if you talk about, okay, who would be in the top 20 scoring halfway through the American Hockey League season as a rookie? I don't think anybody would have put Rory Kearns in there with 23 points and 29 games for Calgary. So for me, particularly as a centerman um, who can mm-hmm. play in the wing as well, that's actually a pretty quietly an, an impressive start for a young player.
7: Yeah. Right. And like a player that, you know, he didn't get, uh, he didn't get much opportunity, right? Like early on, uh, you know, Connor Zari uh, got called up. So that started to open up a little bit of uh, space in the lineup. And then like he jumped in and, um, just it took the opportunity and ran with it, right? Like, I mean, and that's exactly what you want to see. Like, a guy, you know, I mean, so many players, they wait and they wait and they wait for an opportunity, then it comes in there, they're not able to grab it, right? And he was able to do that, you know, a six round pick, right? Like, so a guy that, you know, certainly didn't come in with a lot of fanfare, a guy that has to kind of push his way into life. He's not going to be handed a spot.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, he kind of bullied his way in there. Yeah, like, yeah. you gotta, you gotta,
7: like, you gotta, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, right? If you're a high-end pick, right, like, you have to prove you can't play, right? And guys like him, who are, you know, on the lower side of the, you know, the draft, they have to prove that they can
1: play, right? Multiple times, yeah.
7: Multiple times, and, you know, people are always looking for, you know, something to pick apart in a player's game like that, right? Like, why he can't play, and instead he's showing that, hey, you know, I belong here, and, you know, he's in a good situation now with with with, uh, I think Trent calls a good fit for him as a, as a head coach, a guy that will kind of, you know, really kind of embrace those qualities in his game. And, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really good to see, you know, you love to see those, um, those guys that don't get the heralded, you know, the fanfare coming in, you know, as a 20, 21 year old, you know, first, second round pick, right? Like this is a guy that's had to really push his way in and, you know, good, good for him. Uh, he's, He's uh you know he's in a great situation now with a with a Calgary team that has a chance to go uh you know a long ways in, in, in the Potter Cup playoffs this year once once again and um, so it's uh, yeah yeah like you know you see these players every year in this league there's there's you know a group of players that are the fifth sixth seventh round picks right that like late bloomers they they they. they they find their niche and and they run with it. And, you know, oftentimes, right, like those are the
1: guys except, that end up... Accept the rules, right? Accept the yeah. rules, and then this is a role that I can make it into the NHL. Yes. With, right? Yeah, and if you're able to do
7: that, like, if you're really truly able to not just say you are, but truly buy into it, do everything that you're asked to do, yeah, you, we're seeing that, that there is a pathway uh, for a player like that.
1: Uh, lastly, let's talk about Emil Andre from yeah. Laval, a smaller skilled defenseman, and I'm always interested particularly when they're younger when they come into the American League how do they handle the defensive side of the game it's their off puck play that I'm interested in because it's obvious because Emil has the mobility hockey sense puck moving ability he's got you know confidence and when he carries the puck and moves the puck so mm-hmm. I didn't think that was going to be an issue in 20 points in 29 games clearly shows that that's not a problem you know it's really about how does can he not take penalties because of hooking and holding and, you know, interference just being out of position and not understanding what he needs to do defensively from that standpoint. So talk about a little bit more. I mean, yes, obviously the offensive part is great. And I think his learning curve is really the off puck, but I think Mm -hmm. once that starts to come into play, give him another, you know, half a season this year and then another, it's only 29 games in. So, you know, it's really early. In that, so I'm not. We shouldn't be both surprised that he's had some struggles without the puck, particularly trying to adjust to a different ice surface and different country and different, you know, different way of life and you know different coaching styles. Yeah, you
7: know, he's part of that Lehigh Valley group where, um, you know, like slowly but surely, right, like we're starting to see some pieces. You know, the Flyers are. You know, they're an interesting. I I would say one of the most interesting. Just overall situations in the NHL right now, you know, on the way down to the AHL as well. Uh, Just kind of the group they have, you know, like you got the NHL team, I I think, a little bit ahead of schedule, uh, certainly in in, in where people expected them to be. So that changes the equation a little bit uh, for management. But then, yeah, you're bringing a player like this, a second rounder, uh, 21 years old. uh, You know, I guess the first thing people will look at, and they'll look at, say, he's 5'9" is he big enough to handle the NHL? Is he even big enough to handle the AHL in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the grind and the, yeah. uh, everything that goes with that. Like, you know, so far the answer is yes. Yes, he is. And, um, you know, he's no, he's again, he's another player comes from, you know, you know, pretty significant, uh, Swedish hockey league experience, right? Like, yeah. in. and so, uh, for him, uh, I'm encouraged, you know, like, you know, I always want to pump the brakes on a young player. Like, but uh, you know, early I mean, signs.
1: I mean, there's some early there's some signs, signs. You yep. know,
7: like yeah, like you're starting to see some blossoming there, and and that's 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 really good to see. And um, yeah, I think for him, you know, he obviously he's a player. He's he distributes he the puck, uh, you know, skill and all that, right? Like, I don't think there's any secret about that. like now, the question is, how's is he able to do that? You know, when you're 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 in that like three and four, you know, stretch of games, and you know, you know, the second half, I think will will we'll really indicate a lot about where he is you know like how does he handle the next say two three months
1: 100 percent. well patrick once again thanks for coming on the show really appreciate the insight of the ahl rookies and look forward to speaking to you next week absolutely thank you we're gonna take a short break on hockey prospect radio stay tuned we'll be back right after this
4: every play every stat every breakdown on their own they're essential but all together they're undeniable
0: Prospect news and analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: It's Hockey Prospect Radio, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and business operations. Speak with Mike McMahon, college hockey insider, about some drafted college players. And Mike, this week I want to ask you about Landon Slaggard. So interesting. You know, he was third round pick of Chicago, went into his freshman year, had a really good year, like really good year, Um, played as an underage going into U-20s for the World Juniors and, you know, threw his weight around, but didn't really produce anything. Not a surprise. It's no harm, no foul for being a younger player. And then his sophomore season had a really good season with Notre Dame, I thought, and then went into their U-20s again and played really well at six points in five games and I thought his you know his career was on uptick and then his um you know he gets into the junior year and then things just didn't turn out the way he wanted to in terms of production and it it appeared to me there were some injury issues in there and things just didn't weren't you know sometimes things just don't go your way and now he's in his senior year and um, thoughts about the renaissance of him getting his game back on track because he's a point of game player so um so far through twenty six games.
8: Yeah, I think that's what we're seeing. I think he's getting a little bit of a bounce back. I, I do think there were some health issues there early, uh or excuse me in that junior year, like you said, but uh he's a guy that he relies a lot on on being a big, strong physical guy, winning board battles and just kind of being a physical presence. He's not like a six foot three guy. I think he's like no. six foot or six one. Yeah. But he he plays three four inches taller than he is and about fifteen pounds heavier. Uh, it's kind of his game. So uh, I think you know when there are health issues, it makes it hard to play that way. Uh, if there were, if they were there, maybe he's, you know he's not as physical as, as he needs to be. Uh, now I think you're seeing that kind of come to the forefront again. Uh, and it's also hard to do that as a younger player. It's easy to maybe do it when he's uh, playing u eighteen and he's playing with guys his own age, right? But when he's a freshman or a sophomore and you're an 18 or 19-year-old freshman and you're playing against 22, 23-year-olds, it's kind of hard to play that type of style if that's your game.
1: You know, and I think sometimes we, depending on what league you're watching the most, you know, I'll point to the CHL in that standpoint, is the average age in the CHL is 18. The average age in college hockey is like 21, right? So that's the difference. But That age, yeah. that age gap is massive, right? Particularly when you are a freshman from that standpoint. And I think that's something that, I think is really critical from that standpoint is recognizing that when you're evaluating or, you know, putting the judgment on a player, you have to remind yourself, what's the, what is his peer group that he's playing against? Right. Uh, because I think sometimes you can be unfairly critical with college players when they have a down year.
8: Yeah, I think so. Especially with that first jump, those those first couple of years, it's, it's a big jump. Uh, as we've talked about before, right? Especially for some of these guys that are that are really on the younger end of the age scale, kind of coming in as a true freshman as an eighteen-year-old. So how many guys that do that. The vast majority of players are not coming in as true freshman eighteen-year-olds. You're either coming at least at the very least, they're coming in as a post grad and they're coming in at nineteen usually. Yeah, unless you're yeah. like a top first round, second round pick type of guy, it doesn't it, usually happen. Or sometimes it happens with the smaller programs that have to bring in a guy. Uh, or they run the risk of not getting them. That happens too, even yeah. on, on some later round picks or some undrafted yeah. guys. They'll bring him in earlier just because they don't want to run the risk of losing them if they let him go for too long. But it's a it's a huge jump physically, mentally. Like it's, it's a really big jump. 100%. Let's talk about Cruz
1: Lucius because I'm curious to get your thoughts on him. And he was another guy comes out of the program, uh, has a really good U18s. It gets into Wisconsin. Freshman, point of game player. 34 points in 34 games. That's really rare, really rare. Um, and then this year, he's just continued on um, with not a lot of hype. Do you notice? Like, not many people are really talking about what he's done in Wisconsin. Cause I think sometimes uh, there's other teams that are getting more love because there's so many much more star players. But I, you got to give this kid some credit. He's having like a really good year again.
8: Yeah, he's, he's an interesting player, especially where I think last year, because of the fact he was on Wisconsin and they weren't very good, he wasn't really getting talked about very much. Because not, not a lot, I mean, people were paying attention to the fact that they weren't winning games, but they weren't really paying attention to Wisconsin as much as we were paying attention to Michigan, who was having a resurgence. Minnesota was one of the top teams in the country. Michigan State was having a resurgence. So uh, we weren't really paying attention to Wisconsin last year. And now this year, He's having a really good year again, like you said, and they are really good. And it's almost like it's getting lost behind the fact that that Wisconsin program has turned themselves around and everyone's talking about the job that Mike Hastings and his staff has done. And Cruz Lucius is kind of getting, you know, lost to the shuffle again. But like you said, all, all we've got here is a kid who's come in as an 18 year old and has been a point per game player through his freshman and sophomore year. That does not happen very often, uh, especially not a guy, especially for guys that aren't drafted, you know, outside of the first round. It's not usually how it goes. There's usually a little bit of a, uh, of a period where they've got to, to get accustomed to, to just the pace and, and the strength the guys are playing against. He's been, he's been great. He's been absolutely great through two years.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause that's a, a Carolina fourth round draft pick. And you know, we you know that, about that right now, right. You know, and, and no one's really kind of like paid attention to that. And I was just really curious to see, you know, how that was playing out for him in that situation. And it, I think the kids shown, like a tremendous amount of growth in his game in that respect. So kudos to him in, you know, in that respect and didn't even like, didn't get to go onto that world junior team either. So that was a whole interesting thing too, as well. So, um, I want to get your thoughts on, on Ryan Comney as well, from that standpoint, like he is, you know, university, of New Hampshire, um la king's pick sixth round pick thoughts on him as an overall player
8: yeah he's been i mean you notice that unh team has turned it around this year they're outperforming expectations everywhere uh you know i had them picked along with everybody else for probably 45th to 60th in the country look at the total team rankings they're top 20 right now and in 16th overall in the paralyzed and they were in you know top 15 for quite a bit here in the first half he's a big reason why Leading their team in scoring again, a, a freshman that comes in and makes an impact—it doesn't happen yeah. very often—but he's come in and made a huge impact for them. And really, it's been in all areas. It's not—it hasn't just been from a scoring standpoint, although that's been very helpful, uh, especially for a team that that's lacked it for the last couple of years. Uh, but he's come in and helped them really in every area, uh, which is is what they needed. They needed young, impactful players to turn their program around. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that they expected him to give to make this type of impact this early in his career. Uh, but he came in. It's a good example of a kid that comes into a program with opportunity, right? So many players look to go to top programs all the time. Well, sometimes it's it's about opportunity, especially if you're a player that it needs to develop and needs to get a chance to play. You're not going to get better without playing. So uh, he took an opportunity at UNH where he kind of knew, hey, if I go into this situation, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be leaned on right away. I'm gonna get an opportunity to play right away. Uh, and he's made a big impact in doing so, as opposed to. You you go to one of the top, if you're a player like him, you go to one of the top programs in the country, maybe you got to sit and wait a little bit because you got juniors and seniors ahead of you, or however it may be. Uh, It's a good example of a kid who went to a place where he was going to have an opportunity and has taken full advantage of it. Yeah.
1: I mean, he had a really exceptional offensive year in USHL. And that's a hard league to score in. And he was a rookie that year and he got 62 points in 60 games. And then went two points in two games in the playoffs Um, comes in as a, as a freshman and he's got 23 points in 20 games. Like it's just, um, you know, I I just, I don't think we can discount that from that standpoint. And it's like, I don't want to always compare it to the CHL, but this is what ends up happening with guys who are just like drafted and it's their draft plus one year. And they look at, okay, what's this player doing in, in this NHL system and what players doing in that. And you always have to, like, to me, I always make sure I remember the college hockey players are playing against older, bigger, faster, stronger players. And the average age is, you know, two to three years, depending on the conference, higher than their CHL yeah. you know, comparables. And that changes everything, you know, from that standpoint. So, you know, I think probably hockey East the average is 20 and maybe some other conferences are 21, but still if you're playing against an you're 18, you're playing against a 20 year old. That's difference. That's a massive yeah. difference between playing against another 18 year old. Um, yeah. Particularly if that 20 year old has played, you know, three years of junior a in Canada and that's come in and he's now a, you know, a sophomore at, you know, and he's 20. Like that's significant. And I don't think a lot of people give these players credit for that. So, But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight for the College Hockey Prospects and look forward to speaking to you next
8: week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it.
1: All right, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio.
4: Stay stay tuned for Hour 2, and we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by
1: Huddle Analysis, offering large data and video library of players, teams and leagues worldwide. And So we're actually going to talk about Huddle Analysis and the Huddle platform with Evan Simovich, Senior uh, Elite Account Executive. I want to say it because that's a kind of interesting title for huddle. Um, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And one one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is talk about the evolution of huddle analysis in the hockey space. And I know that, you know, you purchased it from, from Instat. And then every time that happens with a company, there's new tools and new back background that comes into play and, You end up having more conversations with your client base about what their needs are and how you can facilitate those needs because it spreads out not only from the NHL, but down into other levels of hockey as well. And, you know, each league has some similar similarities in terms of what their needs are, but then there's specific needs as well. So talk about the transition and looking at hockey as its own entity, because, From a video standpoint, from an analytic standpoint, statistical standpoint, um, taking all that data and information on players and building a story is vastly different than the other sports, whether it be, you know, soccer is what we call it, or for, you know, football or basketball or baseball from that standpoint.
9: Yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Shane. Um, Appreciate being a part of the, uh, the podcast and looking forward to chatting. Uh, yeah, with the Inside acquisition that was made uh, a little over a year ago, uh, we've always been uh, an elite company on the, at least my job has been uh, with the elite team. So the NHL, uh, AHL, major, major college division one teams. But with the inset acquisition, we've branched out and down and, and across uh, in the hockey space. So we were working with the New York Rangers and the Chicago Blackhawks and teams of that, that nature. But now we're going all the way down to U8, U10, U12, Midget, Bantam, all that, all those levels of hockey and everywhere in between. And where we we see growth is those levels, those leagues, those teams, those players want to be like the Boston Bruins or the Vancouver Canucks or whoever may be in, in their area. And so more video, more data, more analysis and treating coaches and players, not like professionals, but like professionals. Uh, and getting them all the tools they need to have better players, better coaches, better practices, better games, uh, and hopefully better parents and the stands as well.
1: Yeah, from that standpoint, I think we can both agree that, you know, particularly, especially in the hockey industry, information is power. And that's the currency with which you wield. So if you're in the dark in terms of information, you know, you're going to be at a massive competitive disadvantage to you know anybody that you're competing against and it's also about when particularly when you look you can look at it from different ways I know everything's really player focused but I think the tool is really valuable for not only identifying players and helping them with their player development because that's a tool in itself is not only de- de- identifying the player but helping them with player development and having them grow but then you can use that as a performance tool for your staff Uh, To look at it from a coaching perspective, a scouting perspective of like, what are we missing? What tools do we need? Um, Are you strong in certain areas and weaker than others? Because tactical scouting reporting from uh, doing scouting reports from watching live games and video are totally different skill sets. So and and it can be used as a tool to help teach, you know, your scouting staff or your hockey operations staff how to meld those two together. And then you take the all the statistical information, and that has to be integrated as well. So, in many cases, I find Huddle um, an industry interesting, interesting integration tool if used in that way as well.
9: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things to discuss in that in that question or in that comment. The ability to uh, have the data, have the video tied to the data, have all that analysis is wonderful. Um, but conveying that message, teaching that message and retaining that message for the players is a completely different topic, right? So it doesn't matter if the coach knows what's going to happen on the ice, uh, or coaches know. It's if the players know and they can and react and implement those, those skills either in practice in a game, preparing for an opponent, getting better with skill development, whatever it may be. The the interesting part is the amount of data. And the amount of video that is now available, right? Five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years ago, you you were you you were limited in, in what you had resource wise. Now oh, trust me, resources- I know. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, it, yeah, It was tough. Resources are, are abundant across the board, right? I was at my my little kids' game and there's parents filming there, and they're six and eight years old. So uh, that wasn't commonplace five, 10, 20 years ago. But what you just talked about with coaches and players uh in a team setting versus individual setting is completely different. And the nice thing or the great thing about Huddle and sports code and all our tools is once you're in our ecosystem, you have access to all that stuff. So it could be it could be players and leagues above your head, it could be below you, it could be development, it could be coaching, it could be skills, it could be all sorts of different things. But we have tools for every level and every level of player as well. And so um, one of my former coworkers used to say, uh, regarding real-time analysis, you can't win today's game tomorrow. And so, the ability to have real-time analysis for our operational teams uh, is just so pivotal for them to win today's game today, in between periods, uh, right before the game, so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you there's different ways you can use this tool. It's not just a blunt object in terms of there's instant analysis for coaches on the bench or in between periods to make adjustments for their players and then it's a preparatory tool as well prepping for particular games it's a prep tool for scout scouting departments to prep for an upcoming draft or for tr- potential trades in that respect regardless of what level it happens to be whether it be junior mm-hmm. or all the way to the nhl mm-hmm. and i think that's really helpful as well and it's then it's a learning tool for all the different levels, whether it be players or coaches or player development or your analytics staff or your management staff of using the tool and trying to find a way to make better decisions. And yeah, more
9: informed decisions and more yeah, informed
1: decisions and trying to find out, okay, uh, how do we weight all these tools? Like what is more valuable to us based on what we value, right? So there's a, a, a lot of different ways you can use the tools in which, what I like about it is the variety of different tools and you can use them in a bunch of different circumstances. So your variety of tools, uh, I think is really useful. Can you speak to a little bit of of that, particularly, you know, from the different levels, because, you know, you'd be surprised looking forward and looking back, you know, what tools you end up using.
9: Yeah. I mean, variety is the spice of life, right? So, uh, yeah, all the teams have access to all our tools and just what you said, how they use them is up to them and, and uh, we were talking off off camera or before we started recording. Different organizations use tools different ways, and so whatever they pride themselves on, uh, they can they can use our tools to emphasize that or get better at it. Um, but it, it's really up to each individual coach, player, uh, GM, front office staff member, scout, regional scout, head of scouting, uh, amateur scouts, European scouts, <laughs> free agents, trades, all that stuff that we, we you talked about you can use it however you see fit. We we give you the tools and you implement them how you see fit. And that goes NHL, CHL, USHL, Division 1, Division 2, II, Division 3, high school, competitive, the Honeybee, you know, all the way down. So uh we don't tell you how to use it. We just tell you how how it can be used and it, it's up to the end user uh within the organization to set forth a plan, which we'll be more than happy to help with, but but they they have the tools and they have the the human resource to use it how they see fit.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because you're also a resources, you know, if I'm working for a team, I can come back to you and say, Hey, I'm, we're thinking about implementing this kind of strategy. Like what tools would you recommend to help fulfill that strategy? Like we're looking at a bunch of tools or are we missing something in that plan? And you can come back to that team and go, well, have you considered X, Y, and Z? And here are the reasons why it could tie these other tools together.
9: Yeah. Uh, I've been doing this for almost 16 years. Uh, I'm far from perfect or an expert, but I do like to be a resource for for our teams and our our clients when they have questions, problems, concerns, ideas, thoughts, all that stuff as a sounding board. Right? Here's here's my suggestion. Here's my recommendation. If I was in your shoes, maybe I would do this. Here's what I've seen others do. Um, and again, just just be a resource, not telling them what to do, not telling them how to use our tools, you know, whether it be Sports Code or Instat or Huddle.com, Coda, all these tools. But more just to be a resource, to be to be a suggestion box, so to speak.
1: One of the interesting things and tools that I'm happy to work on because I'm it's a work in progress. Progress is scouting goalies. I'm not a goalie scout. Thankfully, Brad Allen, uh, my co-host, is a goalie scout, so obviously I can you know tap his brain and tap into that. But you know, scouting goaltenders is a whole different animal in itself. And talk about you know the evolution of the tools that you use to evaluate goaltenders, particularly because how very few of us are actually legitimately goalie scouts.
9: I can't tell many times I've been told about how goalie coaches and goalie scouts just operate in their own, own world, their own ecosystem. Yeah. Right. They're the unique ones on staff. Uh, Yeah. The ability to see anyone and everyone uh, historical video of players, specifically goalies throughout their career is something that that has come up uh, in a lot of meetings with with uh, NHL clubs, AHL clubs, colleges, so on and so forth. And so uh, goalie goalies can win you games, can win you cups, can win you championships, can lose you games, cups. I know it's a team sport, but when a goalie stands on his head, it, it can make a whole heck of a lot of difference. So uh, finding the right one can can make the difference between just making the playoffs or not making the playoffs, advancing, winning championships, so on and so forth. But the ability in our software to find every goalie touch, every shootout opportunity, uh, every save, every wrister, every glove save, every pad save, every blocker save, so on and so forth. Power play, penalty kill, all their chances against uh, creates a unique uh, ability for coaches, scouts, uh, and particularly goalie coaches and scouts to, to find the tools they need to help their current goalies get better and then find the next Hall of Famer.
1: We have one minute left in the segment. Thoughts on uh, how exciting it is for the next generation as you are expanding this tool for your client base, and how much fun it is to work on a project that is in a really high-level e- evolution phase.
9: Yeah, like I mentioned before, I've been doing this for a long time, and uh, we're we're pedaled to the ground uh, in the hockey market, and that's really exciting for me personally uh, and professionally because of the relationships I have within the, the hockey world, and so. We work with a lot of teams, most teams in the hockey space, excited to grow that uh, market share and excited to grow their footprint inside our software. So uh, I'm thrilled and excited to be working uh, in this space and with these teams and clients. And I think the rest of 24 and 25 and 26, we're going to see big things coming and a lot to show to keep our current teams happy and engaged and get a few more across the finish line.
1: Well, Evan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the inside of Huddle and look forward to having you on the show once again.
9: Thanks, Shane. Uh love being here and can't
1: wait to be back. That's Evan Simovich. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back
4: right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back
1: and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to turn to our player development clinic with Pat Malloy. Pat, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it.
10: Thanks for having me,
3: guys. Hope everybody's well.
1: Everybody is great, and we are going to continue on our player development uh series and we're going to continue to talk about skating and this week you wanted to touch on you know skating when it comes to stride posture fluidity and an activated base of skating and could you bit of, do a background uh you know breakdown for our listeners out there who are not as familiar with you know some of the exact science of what specifically you're speaking
0: about
10: Yeah, uh, you know, building on our our segment last week when we had sort of talked about skating from the perspective of athlete versus artist, um, really what I want to sort of talk about today, specifically when we talk about, um, you know, building the skating of a prospect coming in and, and taking a look at their base of skating and ensure that, you know, we enhance their ability to play in the best league in the world, You know, one of the first things that that I like to do is certainly in unison with the strength and conditioning department or the performance department is is get a real idea, as we said, you know, last week we introduced the idea of understanding the athlete, making sure that we work together with the S&C department, and then we take a look at, you know, activated basis skating. Do we create a posture? Do we create an ability for that athlete to move? you know, in the fastest league in the world and the fastest sport in the world. And so, you know, I kind of liken it to we want to make sure that everything we do is as efficient as possible and that we've got on-demand ability um, to move our mass, to win puck races, to perform, the, you know, the, the items of the job that we have. So, you know, we start with, you know, looking at the idea of does our posture, does it come from an activated base? Do we have access to the power we need to create the speed we need? Um, To to have the process done in a quickness fashion because of stride turnover. And so what we'll look at is posture. Uh, Is our body in line to be able to move our mass? Do we have sunken hips? Do we stand in a way that allows us to create force and be fast? And we, you know, once we've established the idea that from an athletic standpoint, you know, our strength to weight ratio is in line. So I, as a skating coach, would, you know, work with the people in the performance department to, to make sure, are we are we strong both left, both right? Do we have impingements in terms of mobility from the left, from the right, from the middle? Is there an injury history that we're working with? Is there anything that's been surgically done that we need to be aware of? so that we can make sure we're covering all the bases in terms of applying the technique training that we're trying to 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 allow the athlete to maximize their movement and so once we've established sort of that posture that base and recognizing that all right we're now in a position that we access power we want to turn it into speed and so that takes us into stride work and so a lot of times you know a prospect coming at a junior that that skates okay but you know, we look at it and say there's there's efficiency things, there's areas that we can clean up, there's postural things, there's upper body, there's flexion things that we can do to to help iron out some inefficiencies. And so when I think a stride, you know, we'll look at things like, is there three-joint activation on their drive leg? Meaning, are they engaged in their hip, their knees, and are they getting finishing pushes all the way through their ankle to get it? the maximum out of each push? And the more that we can get out of each movement, The more efficient we can make it, we're burning less energy on the the, the physical um, aspect of just moving. It allows us to to really focus that energy in other places when it comes to making plays. From the fluidity standpoint, again, once we've sort of recognized that our power comes from our posture, um, our speed comes from our ability to stride, and then our quickness comes from our return and our ability to, to start the process over with a stride turnover concept. You know, from them, for us, what we want to make sure is there's fluidity. We're linking the movements of the upper body and the lower body so that we're not working against one another, if that makes sense. Um, we're making sure that any movement that we we generate is one that's going to create separation for us. And. You know, everybody that winds up playing in the National Hockey League can certainly skate. You know, anyone that's a, a prospect or a high-performing um, player certainly has a basis skating that allows them to get there. But when you start talking about the best league in the world and, you know, the best 700 players, give or take, in the world, you know, efficiency and in, in, in movement really becomes something that we look for seconds saved or seconds earned. And so from those areas, we want to break down using, you know, collaboration between different departments within your hockey club. Um, Video evidence-based looks at, okay, this is how we move in a game. And then using video to really break down the movements from a training perspective, all the while, you know, referring back to the strength and conditioning of the performance department, the therapists, and having everyone on the same page when it comes to this is what we're doing to create the development plan for this individual player.
2: Uh, Pat, you mentioned uh, three, three point, uh, um, I, I guess, activation between the hip, knee, and ankle. Um, mm-hmm. One question I had for you was regarding uh, the physiology of a skater that is severely knock kneed. Okay. As a skating coach, how do you help uh, develop a foundation that allows them to go through three point flexion to compensate for the knock knee syndrome?
10: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think back to work that I had done with Nick Hag, who's now in 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 Vegas. Well, he's in Vegas's lineup, and and a great big tall fella. You know, six six at the time that I had started to see him. Um, and a a really knock mood player right from the start. And so that wasn't something, when when we looked at that initially, we started to do, uh, you know, something called a movement screen. And so it wasn't necessarily something that we started with from a skating perspective. As we looked at it immediately from an athletic perspective and said, all right, what areas of this player's body need to strengthen in order to support, you know, optimal stance, optimal balance points, optimal um, execution points from the technical standpoint so really that started off the ice prior to us ever moving him on the ice and so a lot of what we did in collaboration you know with his agent and this was you know prior to him being drafted because you know at the time the player and the agent certainly knew hey listen you know we want to this is a big player with a lot of things going right but it takes a little longer for some of those younger underdeveloped players to develop the strength and some of the mobility in areas especially at that young age so the way we attacked that was really from from the performance perspective off the
2: ice to start with
10: creating movement and mobility in areas that would allow them to move the way they would need to um, strengthening areas and hips and adductors and, and, and you know, in their core and, and their ability to hold stance to be in a powerful position started off the ice. Um, and that was something that we, we really looked at and said, you know, here's going to be the plan off the ice that will lead us to the movement advantage on the ice.
1: And those are, you know, those are fascinating aspects. And I think it's one of the things that helps all of us, in terms of recognizing different skaters and what are the mechanics, the biomechanics behind that patent, you know, you know, from my perspective, it's really helpful to be able to, break that down and look at it from a a scouting perspective and be able to speak to people in player development so that you can sort of almost deconstruct it to yourself while you're like when you're watching players play so then you have a better understanding of what's in front of you you don't have the domain expertise that you have but at least you have some better recognition so that you're less likely to make evaluation errors from that standpoint do you agree?
10: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an interesting one, right? There's no such thing as one proper way of skating. Everyone's got a base of talent. Everyone's got a base of athleticism. Everyone's got a certain base physically that'll allow them a level of success. And so when you're looking at that, you know, for us to maybe approach a player like Nick Hag and say, you know, let's get this guy to skate like Paul Coffey. They're two different body types. There, there's, there's a lot of different things physiologically going on there that would prevent him from doing that. But one thing we would know is, hey, you know, we can look at him and recognize this guy's fluid. He moves well in straight lines let's start to look at some of the things that create extra burden on his body because he's a long limbed player and he's a bit knock kneed. what areas can we can we work on that and so as i said a lot of it became individualized that let's fix some of the strength inequities and the impingement in the movement areas and then attack the technical end that would allow him to be a little bit more efficient
1: great stuff pat uh once again and i look forward to speaking with you next week and as we continue through this player development uh, clinic uh, and series Uh, be safe out there. Uh, Look forward to speaking to you next week and, um, and take care.
10: Thanks guys. Great
1: talking and stay well. That's Pat Malloy skills and development coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a quick break, but we'll be back right after these important messages.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown, On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash hpr
5: to learn more.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by
1: Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach in our regular segments called It's All Mental. Thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it.
3: No, I love being here with you guys. Well, we continue to
1: talk about your book, Hockey, Grit, Grind, and Mind. And as we go through the chapters, we are in chapter four. It's, uh, chapter four is purpose. And the topic in this segment is about values. And this topic only because values is such a, <laughs> I guess it would be such a large area to encompass even within, say, North America or Western Europe. Um, we're not even talking about the rest of the world um, and how people define their values differently and what's important and what's not. Then you're trying to get it into not only your personal values, but then there are the, there's the team values and their culture and then how that interact with not only the team concepts and what the team values, but what your you know, teammates value. So talk a little bit about from that perspective when you're sitting with your clients and discussing this this, this area. And then how does that sort of all play out?
3: So, you know, I know some people might think, you know, when are we going to get to the good stuff? We're going to start talking about real mental toughness stuff. Everything we talking about is awareness and passion and, and now values. Come on, Kev, this is, come on, let's, let's talk about some really cool stuff. But I think the reason that we sort of go to these foundation areas is because that's who you are, right? Who you are and what you do when sort of on automatic pilot. Now, I will say too, that when it comes to values, there are things that we may value that we find uh, in our journey to become an elite player that we're sort of having to maybe decide, right? So something something I value is is being put to the test. And so the question is, under that pressure, what do I do? Do I... Do I go with, you know, what I feel like I should versus who I am? And when we talk about values, that's really what I'm talking about is who are you, right? What's important to you? Values are different. I think we're going to talk about goals a little bit too, but values and goals are a little bit different because goals are things that you do. Values are who you are. And I think that this awareness emphasis, this um, this self-perception emphasis that we keep talking about Is critical for you being able to get the most out of yourself. And so when it comes to values, um, I would would venture a guess that most people don't really know what their values are until you sort of sit down and and sort of give them a list of things that they can choose. And and that's what I do in the book. You'll see that I've got a list of all these different areas of these values that I want guys to choose. And and I want them to choose the top three or four or five values that really stand out to them. And then sort of ask themselves, how, how do I honor these values when under pressure? And it's especially hard when we are under social sort of approval pressure um, to, to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to say certain things to do certain things. And, and I'm telling you when those things go against who we are, then that's when we have that's when we have struggle. That's when we find folks that are, are are maybe doing things and acting a way that is so uncomfortable. It's so not them, and it's because they never really took the time to to figure out what was important and what do I want to stand for.
2: Uh, Kevin, can you discuss how values um, help generate? Uh, purpose-oriented active uh, activities, like uh, actions, I guess, would be the best word to describe this. Um, because from my perspective is, um, if, you, if you say purpose is setting your intention, right? Well, intentionality breeds actions, right? Is, that, is Would that be the case? And if so, is that is that kind of what you're encompassing
3: here with this discussion? Yeah, 100%. So I, I think a great example would be, so if I value getting long, right? I get along with folks. And and that's really important to me is that I just get along with everybody. Then when it comes to competing, to winning ugly, to, to, you know, playing a, a type of game that you leave nothing on the table. Well, it's, it's hard to get along with everybody when you play with that kind of mindset. And so that's a good example of, of, you know, we want our hockey players to compete at a, at a level that other players really can't. Right. When when we come to when it comes to compete level and, you know, as a scout, that's something I know you, you you really look at in a player is their ability to battle, their ability to compete. And if you are and this is not a bad thing, but if you are, are really sort of locked up into other people's feelings and I just want to get along, I want to I want I want them to like me and those kinds of things, then you're going to struggle to turn on that that sort of beast compete mode that you need to when you need to. And so that's something that we have to understand in young players that, you know, we've got guys that that want to get along and don't really want to rock the boat, but now we're asking them to, to, you know, turn into something that they're not sure they can. And so that would be a great area that I would want to slowly work with the player to say, Hey, listen, just because you compete and win that battle, that doesn't mean that, you know, you put that person down. That doesn't mean that they lost. It just meant that you, you, you know, gave everything that you have to win that battle. And this is something that's going to make you a great hockey player. So that that's a, I, I think a decent example of how values impact performance, impact behavior. Um, but there are so many other areas that, you know, you would look at being a good teammate, you know, getting, being coachable, getting along with your teammates, getting getting along with your coach, stuff like that. There's so many areas that we could look into, but, uh, it, it's got to start somewhere, and that's why I think it's part of the foundation stuff that we do in uh, in hockey grit grind and mind.
1: Jim, glad you both brought that up because it was in a previous conversations on the show, but also just a couple segments ago, we were talking about a Swedish player. And um, much of the conversations I have with my Swedish friends is that their society is so very much um, they innate they're enabled people to get along and they talk about their problems in a very civilized manner. Um, their whole society is predicated and built on that, which obviously I admire because they're less likely to be you know, violent and unreasonable. But then when you have players are, who are been nurtured in that environment and you put them in a different environment like hockey in a highly stressful situation, we'll use an example like the under 20 world championships – And then they they do a great job through the, you know, the beginning rounds and then they get into the core finals and semifinals and they have difficulty ramping it up. Um, Do you see that Kevin in certain situations where the society itself actually impacts part of that? I mean, I don't want to like the Swedes to take away that because I actually admire that about them, but do you think it can impact from that type of mentality when the chips are down and you've got to be, perhaps not the nicest person on the planet.
3: Yeah, that's a great example. That's a, that's a, such a good example of sort of the culture sort of promotes a certain value that is of course going to be adopted. You know, where we grow up, we learn from the people around us. And so that's a great example. And I think what the Swedes have done that make them so good is that uh, without losing that, you know, that honorable sort of cultural value, is they compartmentalize right there there's a time that I'm a hockey player and there's a time when I'm dad or I'm a friend or whatever and I think they've done a good job of being able to to play that north american game in competition but not change who they are to do it and so when i look at you know some of these Junior tournaments where they're they're performing such a high level and they and you can even see them. They get a little gritty and a little chippy and and, you know, on the ice. But it's because they're able to sort of bring on that that persona that's required for this, you know, fast, intense game and but not change who they are. So that's but you do that through recognition. They have made a deliberate effort to to help these young players compartmentalize their personal life, and their hockey performance. And I think that's why they stand out. Not everybody does that as well. And so I think that's, that's what you see in some of these cultural differences in, in the sport.
1: We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be right back.
4: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat,
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are
1: back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at PowerPlayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. As we continue through the chapters, we're in Chapter 4, which is Purpose. Uh, the subtopic for this segment is Goals. So, Kevin, talk a little bit about When you're sitting with your clients, uh, your hockey players, and you're talking about goals, um, how do you structure that conversation? Because I could see that, especially if it's a younger player, you know, in their teens, maybe even early 20s, how that could go off the rails a little bit, only because, you know, as a younger person, you're not nearly as necessarily maybe as, as wise and experienced in life um, and you're not quite as focused on certain things that perhaps you need to be, have some level of attention to. So how does that conversation go when you're trying to, you know, help them establish what their real goals are?
3: Yeah, well, when they're young, think about it, when you're young and I say, you know, you're, you're new to hockey, you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So much of your life to this point has just been sort of directed, right? Yeah, you know, be here, go there, do this. Um, and so the need for goals is, is not necessary. But as you sort of hit that 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, if you don't understand that you are now being given the keys to the bus, that you are now giving a chance to drive and, and, and decide where you're going to go and what you're going to be, then Goals are critical, you know. And the thing about goals, and this is what's so difficult, it's so frustrating, is that you talk to anybody and you say, "So, tell me your goals." Or, "No, do you set goals?" That'll be my question. Do you set goals? And all, all, the heads are nodding. Yes, yes, of course, I set goals. And I say, "So, so what are they?" And that's when I can tell that they're figuring it out right there, so that they can answer me. Oh, I want to, oh, I want to win the league. I want to, I want to be the best score. And, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. You, you, you know how important goals are, but you haven't really set them. You're just sort of winging it. And I get that. I get that because this is so obvious. It's one of those things that it's so obvious that we just sort of gloss over it. But I'll be honest with you. Goals are critical for reaching you know, the higher levels in this game. If you don't decide where you want to go and make a deliberate plan to get there, then you will just end up on somebody else's bus going to somebody else's destination. And you'll look up one day and you'll say, how the hell did I get here? Right. And I'm, I'm sure you guys see it. You see it in the, in the players that you scout all the time, the guys that are taking control over their lives, because they've be very specific and, and directive with what their goals are. Uh, and then guys that are just sort of riding it out, seeing where they end up and then complaining about it at the end.
2: You know, as a sports psychologist, I'm sure you have to deal with um, looking at goals from the lens of different athletes at different levels. But if you're to take, let's say, Patrick Liney for example, okay, an elite sniper who's had a bit of difficulty, and then you take a player who's just trying to stay up uh, with the team the full time and create uh, an impact on a depth role um, – can you speak to the difference of how the goal orientation is perceived and how you modify their goal, their goals so that they can, they can stay within a threshold, right? So Patrick Laine wants to remain an elite caliber sniper and be a first line star caliber player. So his goal orientation is going to have to be very different than a fourth liner. Who's just happy to make it after coming up from the AHL.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great example. And, and I think what, what I, what I work with is, you know, you think about goals, you think about short-term goals, long-term goals, right? That's obvious. That's what we all know, right? These are things I want to accomplish this week. These are things I want to accomplish this season. You know, these are things I want to accomplish in my career. Okay. I get that. But I break them down into to three types of goals. And these are really important distinctions because it, it, it sort of feeds into what you were just talking about. One is outcome goals. You know, outcome goals are things that I want to accomplish. The thing about outcome goals is that they're not always things that you have control over all the variables, right? So if I want to be the best, the leading scorer on my team, say, for instance, then I better have an offensive team. I had, I better have guys that move the puck well and see me, and I better get in the good scoring positions. Okay, that's on me. But if the guys aren't passing, then, you know, I've got an issue. So outcome goals are great. We need to have them. They're really important. But they're not always under our control, not under our control. The second type of goal is what I call a performance goal. Now, these are goals that are under your control. These are things, this is you challenging you. You know, I want to gain 10 pounds. I want to, you know, pick up some speed. I want to be more agile. I want to improve my stick handling, right? These are things that you get to decide what they are. And then it's up to you to improve it. Now, you can have coaches and guys that understand what these goals are and continue to push you. But it's you against you. And then the third type of goal is what's called a process goal. And this is real, these are like micro short-term goals and things that you need to do in the moment to be the best player that you can. I talk about it in in terms of ABCs. ABCs are are three things that you do really well in a game. And when you when you do those skills at a high level, you typically play well. So if you have a D-man, you know, you want to, you know, get pucks out, swivel. Uh, you know um, um uh, you' quick first pass right things like that jump up into the play these are very specific skills that when you execute them right you'll have a good game and why these process goals are so important is that when you have these things queued up ready to go when you lose focus when you no emotional control then your only job is to go straight to those goals and just execute those goals it's not to figure out what's going on figure out why so and so is doing such and such. It's just to get pucks deep, get shots on net, get in the scoring position, you know, win 50-50s. And I think understanding these three types of goals, and when you mentioned Patrick gliny he right now needs to work on performance goals. He needs to sort of get his game back so that he's playing at the level that we know. if he's focused on outcome goals and he's wondering why he's not getting so much ice time, he's wondering why the coach is upset. He's wondering why you know, the fans are sort of hard time. Well, those are things he can't control. So you spend a lot of time in that space. Well, you're going to be frustrated for the most part. You
1: know, and that's really fascinating. I'm glad you brought up that, that comparison and that analogy with, you know, from a player, observing a player through that process and being able to recognize it so that whether you're a coach or a manager or you're even a scout because a lot of scouts will see their prospects play and talk to them if it's, i think it certainly is very helpful if you can recognize that and say and just mention it to the player hey you know what are you thinking what are you feeling and recognize oh like he maybe he's stuck in an outcome goals loop that i can yeah. maybe you know re- you know remind him that hey maybe you want to get into like more like performance goal and then even get it bring it down to a smaller level to make his world even smaller to allow him to focus on it on some process goals just i i think that's a tool that would be really useful for people that are in hockey operations just as you as another tool to speak to your players about yeah uh, from the yeah. End- so, what are your thoughts on on that?
3: Well, I mean, you think about when you know, and hopefully, coaches do this. Assistant coaches do this, and they, you know, they talk to their guys. What What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish this season? What What are the things that you're working on, right? So, th- those two questions address outcome goals. What are you trying to accomplish this season, and what are you working on performance goals, right? And so, those two things, it's important to understand. If I've got a a goalie who wants to be the top. GAA in the league but I've got a defense that is maybe you know porous maybe they're they're you know they're they're an offensive defense so that there are times when they get lit up then I've got to coach that goalie to to sort of recognize that there are some challenges to that particular goal right not 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 of any of his uh you know skill issues but just the fact the way we put it together so I, I think that's a great example of how we organize um, teams, organizations to help meet the goals of our players. And, and from an operational standpoint, I think that's, that's part of what makes great teams, great teams.
1: Well, Kevin, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate your great insight and to all our guests and I'm Shane Malloy. And for Brad Allen, it's another edition of hockey prospect radio and we will see you at the rink
4: every play every stat every breakdown on their own they're essential but all together they're undeniable introducing huddle instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com hpr to learn more.